Hi everyone! Welcome to Playback Theatre Talks. I am Noah Laibu. In today's episode, I am talking with Sheila Donio. Sheila is a playbacker from Brazil and the founder of Crea Playback. She was also the former chair of the Center for Playback Theatre. Sheila and me will talk about character building and artistic development in playback theater. Please join us. So we can start. Then, uh, hi, Sheila. Hello. I love your name. <laughs> hi. Great having you on Playback Theatre Talks. Thank you so much for the invitation. I feel so honored to be here. Yeah, we've been wanting to do that for quite a while, and I'm happy that now you were able to. And yes. we're, and we're going to talk about, I think, a fascinating topic for a lot of playbackers, which is building a character. And we'll see how that goes with playback. But first, I would like you to um, introduce yourself and maybe say something about how you, um, how you got to be involved in playback theater. I'm curious to hear that. Yeah, so, um, well, I am, first of all, I'm uh, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, where I've been living currently. And... Um, I've been, since I was nine, I've been doing theater. I started very, very, very young. I started at school and then afterwards I started, um, taking classes at a school of English where they had several theater groups and I was part of that. And that was, uh, very important for me, not only in my theater practice, but also, um, to develop my English. Because English is my second language, and um, I got it, I acquired it through theater, which is um, very lucky um, mm. for me, for my life. So uh, very early on, I knew I wanted to be an actress, and I, I um, searched for my path to become a professional actress here in Brazil. I had training in clowning. I had um, different... I studied in different places here in Brazil. And then in 2002, I was um, already doing professional theater. And uh, that was my main activity already. And I was with my family. We were volunteers at an institution that, um, among other things, raised uh, food for, for the people in need here in Sao Paulo. And there was a theater play advertised to raise some food. And my dad said, I've watched this before. I think you're going to like it. You should, you should watch it. So we went together to watch the show. It was a playback theater show. I had never heard about anything like playback before. And when I saw the show, I knew that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Somehow I got it. 
I understood what was behind it. I understood what I had to learn about it. Um, and I understood that I could do it. I knew that that was going to be a big part of my life. Mm. So it was very, uh, impacted me a lot, a lot right away. And how old were you when that happened, when you first saw a playback that, performance? That was 2002. I was 20. I had just turned 20. Mm. And and um, after that, I took a workshop when that, that was, I think by then it was still the first company, the only company we had in Brazil. That was the first company we know of in Brazil. It was a company here in Sao Paulo. And um, I think a year later, I took a workshop with them on introduction um, to playback. And right after that, a few months after that, they invited me to be part of their company. Um, and that was a full-time company. They were performing mainly for corporations. It was a full-time job. And that's how I learned about playback. At first, I thought everywhere in the world was doing playback as their full-time job. Mm. <laughs> and um, then in 2005, for the first time, I went to the School of Playback Theater that now is the Center for Playback in uh, upstate New York. And I started taking classes with Joe Salas, with Jonathan Fox, and several other teachers. In 2008, I well, here in Brazil, I was part of a couple of companies. And then in 2008, I went to the U.S. to tour around a few companies, like around 10 companies. Um, and I decided to stay living in the U.S. Uh, through that process. And for several years, I was a board member. Um, and for some of those years, the chair uh, for the Center for Playback. I still uh, support the center. I'm, I'm current an administrative and financial assistant to the Center for Playback. And now are you a part of any particular group? Yes. Yeah, so in 2015, I moved back to, the, to Sao Paulo, to Brazil. And... Mm -hmm. In 2017, I founded CRIA Playback, um, and we worked for a long time, went through um, different casts, and d evolved our work. And then we took a break um, a year before the pandemic hit, and we were on a sabbatical for a year. And when we were ready to, to organize our projects again to come back, Then the pandemic arrived in, in Brazil. Mm. And so we are still in a sabbatical, but with projects to, to come back to life. So you've been living in the U.S. for five years or something like that? It was almost, it was almost eight years. I for almost eight years, I was in the U.S. Coming back to Brazil to, to run some trainings and, and traveling to... Um, conferences and also traveling to other places for specific trainings. I also have been working a lot with translation inside and outside of playback theater, but mm -hmm. in playback I've I've been responsible for at a, at a at three international conferences. I was um, organizing the supporting the organization of the translation work, so running workshops on that as well and supporting that more people had access to the learning that was happening there. Mm. Um, I think one of my one of my missions 
not only in playback, but in life is to build bridges that support people to have access to information and experiences that are important for them. Yeah, wow. This, this is um, super important, I have to say. This is something mm -hmm. I'm thinking about a lot because I'm doing this podcast and it's in English. And I know a lot of people can't understand, um, can't listen to those talks because of the language barrier. I can see why it's important to you. It's um, I know, and I know in Brazil, many people are not speaking English, right? Correct. Most people, I would say, don't speak English. Mm. Um, it is a privilege to speak English in Brazil. Yeah, it's great that you're you're aware of that and you're supporting this kind of work in the in the playback world. Wanted to ask you how come you came back to Brazil after living all those years in uh, in the U.S. and being involved in the playback scene there. It was never a dream of mine to live in the United States. I always thought of it as as a a period of my life, but not not forever. I never wanted really to establish myself there. But it was an important moment of my life. I went through a lot of different experiences that shaped a big part of who I am today. I'm grateful for all of that. And I'm grateful to be here in Brazil again nowadays. Actually, I was a bit surprised to to learn from you, basically, that the playback scene in Brazil, it, it's not as big as it could be. It's a huge country. And in it many ways... Huge. Yeah, I think it's... Um, I think it's due to the history of how it arrived and, and the main focus in the first years. Uh, playback arrived in Brazil, from what I know, in 1998. And then the main focus of the first company that we know of that was established here was to work in corporations. But for so many years, people were doing their work in their own small communities and not spreading too much. Or if it would spread, it would spread within that city and not connecting a state or connecting the whole country. So you find um, some playback companies in the south of Brazil, in one or two states. You find in the southeast some companies, and then you have an, maybe one, like two more companies in the northeast, and that's it. Mm. There's a huge, all, all, all the huge... A central region uh, and the all the north region that we call they don't have uh, playback and you mm. know Rio de Janeiro doesn't have playback theater either <laughs> which wow. is a very uh, rich city culturally so mm -hmm. there are some targets we'll we'll get there yeah you have a lot of work and I think yeah. you know now that doing playback online be becomes so um, mainstreamed I guess mm -hmm. it's um, it's easier to connect because it's a huge country Brazil so and uh, now that it's normal to work online I guess uh, it opens a lot of opportunities yes and at the same time it opens a lot of opportunities for especially for middle class up because a lot of people don't have stable connections here in Brazil mm. and And a lot of people um, 
don't want don't are not comfortable turning their videos on for example because they don't want to show where they live because they are ashamed of their houses or something so in in some ways it helped a lot it has connected us and it's it's empowering us to do more work together and it's allowing more people to study but at the same time we're still not reaching all the communities that could benefit from this so there's a lot of work for us to do and yeah and there are a lot of us that are up for the challenge so that's good i i think i think we got a promising future for playback in brazil i truly believe in that yeah i think it's a problem people are facing not just in brazil but in in different places around the world where uh, you see that play- playback is maybe very developed but it's still as you said middle class up people that are engaging in that and not so much people that uh, might benefit from that a lot but um, they they don't have the access or Correct. maybe or from other reasons and very and very white it's so very white at least in brazil i can say that it's so white mm-hmm. and and it is it's not easy for us white people to create a safe and and um a reachable space for non-whites which are the majority of our country to access playback theater and especially when you're not offering a salary like come invest in your company invest your time and your energy and pay for your own transportation to get to rehearsal and then one day we'll sell a gig and we'll sell a performance and then you'll get paid um middle class yeah. people could do that sometimes and and most of the non-white people in Brazil are not middle class or up so we need to create ways to really really offer access um my company cria playback we perform with um sign language interpreter in all our performances regardless if they are uh, deaf people in the audience or not because we are committed to having the sessions being accessible regardless of the need so we educate the people the hearing people that this is part of their community and this should be part of the performances um so we we try in some ways and then we face challenges in other ways so it's it's a work in progress mm-hmm. and we'll keep working on it well i'm so glad that you're saying that even though it's it we did get to to the topic we we intended to to talk about but we're going to do that soon i think it's really <laughs> yeah. important to bring awareness to that because a lot of time we are blind for those things we're we're not seeing the needs or we're not we we don't know how to make it more accessible and uh, it's great to hear that this is something you have in mind and and you're you implemented that into your work it, it's really it's an important conversation but i feel that we should get going with, uh, yes. with the topic which is building character in playback i'm really curious to hear what you have to to say about that i have a lot of questions for you but first Wonderful. Maybe, maybe i'll start with asking yeah maybe i'll start with asking 
why is that important? Why is this ability to build character for us as playbackers, why is that important? To, to establish a theater performance, you need one audience member and one actor at least in, in a story to be told there. And who's telling this story is important. And it's, it's always a character. Even if you're trying to, um, to get that character close to who you are, um, but at that moment, it's a character telling a story. So that's, that's part of theater. And so in playback, we talk about the three circles theory. Playback is supported um, by these three pillars. It's the conjunction, uh, or it should be always this conjunction of art, ritual, and social interaction. And I don't see one being more important than the other. I truly believe um, that good playback theater is uh, a good balance of the three of them. So I believe we need to understand where we come from, where we are, so we can reach the other circles and get more experience to balance out our um, abilities, not only as individuals, but, but as companies as well. And inside the art, one of the key elements is to build characters so we can um, we can we can show the story and 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 pass the message of the story more accurately we can help the audience connect to what's being shown on stage um, more more strongly I think it's essential it's it's a big part of theater. How to do that? How can we build character? Okay, so now that answer is not as simple as the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, so it, I think it different um, different people, depending on their background, will have different challenges to do that. Um, so for actors, I think it's easier to understand how you embody a character. Um, for people that don't have the theater background, it might be more challenging. Um, I think the first thing that I would say is we don't listen to the story only with our ears. We listen to the story with our full body, with all our senses, with our intuition, with our knowledge about the background of the story. And then I'm talking not only the the personal background of the story, because not always we have that, but a lot of the times we have knowledge of the political background, of the social background, the cultural background. And all of that, I feel, is part of our deep listening when we are there listening to a teller. And... And, and all of that information that we have, all of that reaches, reaches, all of that. And, and then we start to understand what emotions are there, how to, how to bring those emotions out. And, and in playback, there are different um, characters that we portray. So... A lot of times we are portraying the teller 
and and showing their different emotions. And sometimes we are uh, portraying characters different than the teller. So um, I think I'm going to talk about both. I think first talking about emotions, um, I always say that on uh, to my students, we are not showing emotions. We are living emotions. We're embodying emotions. And I truly believe that acting is not um, faking something. Interpreting doesn't mean faking it. It doesn't mean showing or pretending. To me, acting means you are opening yourself, making yourself available to portray the emotions needed to serve a story. And, and that means leaving those emotions, really feeling those emotions. It doesn't mean suffering with the hard emotions necessarily, but really living it, living them. You're saying that as playbackers, we need to to be really engaged and not just pretend that, that we're feeling something, but to really feel that. Um, and this is the way that actors are being trained usually, like uh, this is the Stanislavski method. You have to really go into the character and really feel uh, the emotions. But one of the challenges, there is many challenges uh, <laughs> regarding that in playback, unlike, you know, classical theater where you can uh, rehearse and prepare yourself in playback. Uh, everything happens so fast. You have to go on stage and you don't have the time to really do the work in order to get into the character and to get into the emotions and all that. So how do you do that? You get to know yourself. You get to know where those emotions are inside of you. I, I, I always say that I feel we have some some uh, buttons we can press inside of us. Where is the anxiety? Where is the sadness? Where is the joy? Where is worry? And you find that. You find that in your body. You get to know your body as an actor or as an actress. And in a way that you can, in a quick way, you can just reach that emotion um, when you need it. So you you listen in, in that deep way to the story. It hits you. You, you get to understand what's the main emotion that needs to come out. And then you find inside your body, where is that emotion? But to do that, you need to practice. You need to practice going through different emotions, embodying different emotions and understanding where they land in your body. That will help a lot. Um, and that's for emotions. But then when we talk about characters in playback, characters are not only people, but they are objects, they are animals, they are places, time, elements of nature, and all types of forces. Capitalism can be a character. Racism can be a character. Dictatorship can be a character. And then how do you embody those characters? And so, and again, how... You, we need to understand, we need to listen to and understand um, what are their emotions, what's true to them, what are their goals. So in character work, we talk a lot about uh, what's the objective of that character at that moment and what are they looking for, what, what, are, they, what are they trying to accomplish, what's, what's their goal. So those things, of course, in playback, you have 30 seconds to think of all of that. But if you practice that, you will be um, 
a little bit faster each time for you to get there. Um, but that's what we should be thinking about. And then um, we go to our rehearsal room and practice, share our stories, get to learn more about ourselves, our emotions, the characters that live within us, and act out other people's stories as much as we can. You were saying that uh, as playbackers, we get to embody not just human characters, but also objects or abstract things like you mentioned, like uh, capitalism and all that. And in some ways, I'm thinking that maybe it's even easier in many ways for playbackers to actually do that, to actually build a character of an object or um, or an abstract uh, concept than to actually build the real character of a human being. And there's many reasons of why that can be uh, challenging. One of the, one of the reasons is, um, as you mentioned, many of the playbackers are not professional actors uh, or actresses. And that can and that is maybe threatening to kind of build a character. It sounds something like that professional actors should do and uh, it, it can be intimidating. But the other thing is that um, in playback, we should be very careful, right? When we're uh, going on stage and we're enacting the scene and we're being one of the characters that the, the teller mentioned, or and maybe, of course, the teller himself or herself. And that is really, and I think it, it can also, it can add to the anxiety of the actor. Okay, why well, now I'm going to have to build a character of, of the teller. How, how can I do that? Maybe I'm going to offend him, maybe, and... When, when we talked yesterday, I told you that, yeah, another challenge is is not falling into stereotypes and all that, which is uh, mm-hmm. and which can easily happen if we want to build a character. We can easily go to what's accessible to us. And a lot of times it might put us in risk. So, yeah, it was a very long question. I want to help you uh, remember. Thank you. Um it is challenging, but uh, we should still go for it. Although it is challenging, we can. We should still um, try to learn it and mm-hmm. and improve that skill for us. So that's one thing. I I think to truly honor and represent racism on stage, for example, can be way harder than um, be someone's father on stage. It could be. It depends on how um, how much that touches you, how close to your uh, story each character is. I always think the hardest characters for us to perform are the ones that um, that reminds us of our own difficult stories. And then again, we need to look at our stories in rehearsal, share our stories and look at our shadows. So we're not dodging the depths of each character when we are portraying them, uh, especially the oppressive ones. Um, we can we can do something 
more superficial because we are afraid of going deep. So the way to go around that, I really think, is to work within ourselves and our stories. And our rehearsals are that for that. So um, we have the space to we should have the space to to work um, on that. And then also, I think that we are not trying to portray when we're especially when we're talking about people, we're not trying to portray the real people. So if a teller shares about her father, for example, we're mm. not trying to show the father as the father is, but we are trying to learn about the father that that teller is talking about and, and that teller's version of that father. And so we're learning about that father and that version of that father as much as we're learning about the whole story and all the sequence of facts of the story. And then when we focus about on how did each person in this case felt throughout the story and what did they want throughout the story, then I feel we can honor the characters better. That will help us um, not just go for an easy uh, fix for a character or generalizing uh, the idea about a character, about about someone or a group of people. So stereotypes are an, a generalized idea about uh, something or about someone. Mm. And what we're doing in playback is not generalizing. What we're doing is trying to be specific. It's that story. And even if that story is about a whole society, it's that society's story. It's still specific to a society, I feel. Even if the society is the whole planet Earth, but it's specific about planet Earth. You know what I'm trying to say? We're not generalizing mm. that all planets are the same, that all human beings are the same, or that all Brazilians are the same. Um that would be stereotypical. We're trying to find what's um, individual about that group of people and what's true about that group of people. And our goal in playback is always to honor the stories, always to honor the stories. And if if that's what we're looking for, we are not we're not just going to try to show off. Right. We're always trying to run away from showing off on stage. At least we should. I don't I don't see much space for ego in 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 playback. It's really like, how do I serve this story better? And how can the character that I'm being chosen to portray or the character that I'm choosing to portray? How can that help the story help serve the story? So also, what is our goal as actors or actresses? On the playback stage, and um, like, uh, right? Does that uh, make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. I just maybe I thought maybe it's worth mentioning because uh, our listeners coming from different backgrounds and different experience with playback. In playback, I as a woman can go on stage and play, as you said, someone's dad or something like that. And usually in playback, we're not going to try to be like, I'm not going to try to become a man and going to make, I don't know, my voice go deeper or walk in a certain way. So this is something maybe that's worth mentioning that in playback, we don't tend to do that. I'm just using myself. I'm still who I am. I'm not trying to be a man or whatever. A lot of times 
that energy of that character, if it's stronger, if it's if it's uh, tougher, it might be your your voice might get um, in a different pitch. Just by just by putting your your body in a different position and I'm just like here, I have a different energy and I'm um my my physical body right now is completely different from what it was 10 seconds ago. And automatically my voice is different. If I change my body again and and if I changed like the center of gravity, if I change the energy of where I'm going and and my voice starts getting completely different. But my aim is not on my voice. I'm not focusing on my voice. But where did my voice go now? <laughs> it's totally high. Like you, you've said earlier, it's not about pretending. It's about feeling and then your whole energy and your whole attitude kind exactly. of like aligns. Exactly. I'm not focusing on putting my voice here or putting my voice there. I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on the energy of the character. I'm focusing on what this like, where does that energy come from? What does that do to my body? What does that do to to my voice? It's the voice is a consequence of that. It's not it's not the 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 first goal, the first thing that I'm trying to do and understanding um, really their energy, their feelings, their reasons, it will automatically generate in us that that character. Yeah. So it's I, so maybe building the character is not <laughs> is not the right term, although I use it a lot in my trainings. But maybe it's it's blossoming the character within you. It's allowing your that character to blossom from within you. Yes, I, I think and this is something this is a point I think it's really important to to mention because I also I have a professional acting training and I'm and I know that building a character in a classical theater, you know, going by Sonistavsky method mm-hmm. and all that in order to build the character, we need to have a lot of information about the character. We need to, or invent it, whatever. But we need to really know the background of the character and know what she likes to eat and uh, what, of course, what her motivation is or what is the goal and how is she developing and uh, what is her temperament. And in playback, we don't have this information we don't know much about the character. We listen to a story, which is usually takes about five minutes. And mm-hmm. then we're going on stage and and here we are. We are someone's uh, sister or brother. And I know a lot of times uh, I'm, I'm hearing my students, they're saying, but I don't know anything about this character. How can I portray it? And a lot of times it's even a lot of a lot of people can get um, paralyzed by it. You know, they are like, OK, what yes. can I do? I'm not allowed because we're saying in playback, don't say thing, don't add something that wasn't there or don't or, of course, don't do like this stereotype gesture or whatever. And then a lot of time they're feeling, oh, but now my hands are tight. I can't really express myself. I don't know what to do. I have to be careful about what I'm going to say. So how do you tackle that? How do you address that, this challenge? Yeah, I remember when I started doing playback, I would always feel that I didn't have enough information. Always, for every scene in every performance, I felt 
the conductor should have asked this question and that question and how am I supposed to do something on stage if I don't have all this information? And nowadays, I focus on the information that I have and not on the information that I don't have. So we start from an empty canvas until that person, someone raises their hand or, or stands up to share a story. At that moment, it's not an empty canvas anymore. We do have information. We have information uh, about um, which culture that person is inserted in. We have information about which country or city they're inserted in. So we do have information uh, a lot of times about um, their background and all these different forces that play a part in their story. Uh, and then we have the information that they're uh, explicitly sharing. And sometimes uh, the conductor will ask, well, give me a word or two about your sister. Oh, and she was loving and caring or, oh, she was very, very worried. Okay, that's information as well. And that's wonderful. Um, but it's not only that that will help us build the character. It's everything that we are learning that's surrounding that story. Um, it's all, all uh, the different aspects, the different elements of that story. Um, so I learned this from Joe Salas. Joe Salas calls uh, the echoes of the stories. Um, it's how that story relates to that person, to the teller. It's different than the story itself. Just the, the story, oh, it was um, this two sisters that were uh, playing in the park. Okay, that's the story, the face of the story. But what's that uh, relationship between those sisters? That's the personal aspect of the story. Then what's the relationship of that story with the here and now? Why is that story being shared in this room, in this moment, um, with this group of people? That also informs us um, a lot of things that that will be useful when we are building characters and choosing characters to play. Then what's what are the archetypes or the myths that um, we can relate to when we're listening to to those stories? And again, archetypes are different from stereotypes, right? We cannot we should not make that um, confusion. So what are the structures, um, the models that we can mm -hmm. find? Yeah. Um, within that story. I want to connect to what you were saying about archetypes. I think that can help us a lot. Also, I just had a talk with Igor, my last uh, episode about archetypes, and I think that's a great resource. And I think we actually in playback, we need way less information than we a lot of time we, we think we need. I'm going on stage a lot of times and I have no idea, like uh, I have no information about the character I'm, I'm going to play. Um, sometimes I'm choosing to play a character that was almost not even mentioned in, in the story. Um, yeah. Like I know someone has a daughter and I'm and he, she might not be mentioned in the story. Someone from my like one of my group members. And I go on stage and even though the story I was hearing was about the relationship of this woman with her husband or something like that, I can come as the daughter and say something. And I don't need to know actually anything about the daughter. And I think if I'm going to come as the daughter, 
and I'm going to say something, that's going to be enough to make an impact because this daughter has an effect on on the teller, of course, and an effect on the dynamic of the scene. So I actually, I don't have to be a certain daughter. I don't have to be, I don't know, a naughty daughter or a, a shy daughter or whatever. You felt that daughter was important in that moment of the scene is because she has something to say. And what is it that only that daughter can say? And when we're focusing on that, that energy comes automatically and then you're automatically building a character that's going to be different from the next daughter in the next scene. What only they could say and what's the only thing that they could say in that um, in that moment of the story that's individual, that will change from one story to another. And that will inform us of the energy of that character, which will automatically influence in our body and influence in our voices if we allow it to. Yeah, so I, I, just, uh, I want to just add one more thing about the daughter thing, because you mentioned archetypes. Um, so I'm just going to close this. So here is where archetypes, I think, come handy, because this archetype of the daughter or the mother This is something we all familiar, are familiar to some extent. And even if I don't know much about the teller's mother or the teller's daughter, I know that um, it must be meaningful in any case. Like it can't be um, bringing the daughter to the stage or the mother to the stage, even if the relationship, even if her mother wasn't the greatest mother on earth. It's still it's going to make an impact. It's it's going to make an impact on the teller and it's going to make an impact on the scene because it is such a strong archetype. So in that regard, I mean, we don't need much as playbackers. We can with very little, we can bring something very strong on stage. It's enough that, as you said, if we're connecting to the energy inside us and we're feeling We're using our intuition in order or not just our intuition, the information that we have about what's needed yes. uh, to the scene, to develop the scene, then that's going to be impactful. Yes, we focus on what we have and and we usually have more than we think of <laughs> we mm. do we do have have a lot um so i think um i was as i was saying i think that's another another um tip that i usually uh give it's uh, for us to think what only this character would say that's a good a good hint for when you are coming in as as a character that was not uh chosen as a um as an actor that was not chosen uh, for a specific character and you're coming in as a character and you want to inform, you need to inform the other actors and actresses of the character that you're uh, portraying. Um, so, so the hint is what only that character would say in that moment, instead of saying, hello, I am time and time sticking. No, what mm -hmm. is it that only time would say in that moment? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we, we so shouldn't like uh, present we are we're just if we are this character, then it's going to be obvious to the audience. We don't have yes. to make a statement. Oh, here I am. I'm the daughter of this and that. I just need to be the daughter. And what is what is uh, what is it that only that daughter would say? And what is the main thing that they have to say? Why are they there? 
if 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 you chose that character, if that character is important for that moment of the scene, what is it that they have to do? What is it that they have to 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 say? Uh, in order to move the story forward. So if we have those things in mind, if those are our goals as performers, I think we're in a good in a good track. Do you have an example of um, of a scene, maybe that you maybe something you conducted or maybe something that you played that you took a, you took a certain choice about a character? And it turned out to be either serving the story or maybe maybe you had an experience that you learned from maybe that wasn't uh, going so well, but something that comes to you when you're thinking about uh, building a character. One thing that that occurs to me was something that worked. <laughs> right. Um, I think it was a recent story, actually. It's uh, from a show. Um, it's from a rehearsal with the Heart Sparkle players. Um, mm, with with from, Debbie from she, Olympia she was, Washington, yes, with yeah, Debbie she, she who was has also, been here before. Yeah, exactly. So, um, in in a rehearsal, someone shared um, something related um, to the U.S. elections and something um, about how they were feeling through this process, and and when we performed we were coming in one at a time um with different characters of that story and i chose to be the united states of america and the way i did it was from what i heard in that story so that person's united states of america was a country that was sick that was dying that was that was not going to survive um, if it continued to go the way it was going. So I just got that and I was um, I was laying down. So actually the camera was on top of me. I was laying down. Um, online work offers some other resources that in, 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 in person in theater we don't have, but... Um, So I was laying on the floor, sick, coughing, and with a very weak energy, the energy of someone who's sick, who's weak. And I was, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I I was saying things like, uh, I don't think I will survive. And I'm I'm sick, but I'm grateful that there are some people still fighting for me and and for my health and, and... I was doing that in a very, very, like feeling very, very sick. And then I chose to end that piece with the final part of the national anthem. And I changed the lyrics to, I don't remember what exactly I sang, but it was something related to the story of um, the land of people that are not free and, and the home of people who are trying to be brave or something like that, honored what that teller said about about the country. Um, so I went, I went from okay, it's a country. It's um, usually portrayed as a very strong country, and at the, in that story, it's it's very sick and needing help, and and not not sure that it will survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually it's interesting that you're mentioning that because now the we are recording this podcast and I think 
maybe today or tomorrow, or uh, I don't know, they're, they're going to announce who's the president of the United States. And um, yes, yeah, this image, I can imagine, I can imagine how powerful it was to, to see the United States like that. Um, and probably that's uh, why this story occurred to me. It's, mm. see, I said before, it's related, it's, it's somehow related to the here and now. And that's one example that I, that I remembered, but um but there are several i think the the more we connect to the energy the true energy of the character uh the better we will communicate with the other performers of mm -hmm. what we're doing um, um that will be helpful what what kind of mistakes we can do when building a character when um portraying a character on stage uh, in playback What should we be careful about? What might lead to something that we we don't want? Great question. Mm. <laughs> um, so we said before about stereotypes, about going to a generalized idea that's not necessarily true to individuals. That's something we're trying to avoid. Um, we I talked also about um not going deep enough like being too shallow being too superficial um i think that's another mistake that we can make sometimes because we are afraid of going deep into those emotions sometimes because um we didn't understand exactly where that character was going um I mean, there are many reasons why, but I think that's another mistake that we need to try to avoid, just doing something too superficial. I don't think that honors the story as well as if we really go deep. Um, and sometimes with accents or, or different languages in a scene, I think that's a tricky one. Um, accents can help us locate the character um depending on the accent you understand where that character is from but for us to to honor that accent without that becoming a stereotype uh it's very very challenging very tricky uh, so mm -hmm. can you as a performer as an actor as an actress can you really do that accent really really well Or is it going to sound like you're mocking someone? Because we don't want to do that. Principally, you're saying you're allowing accents. You're not rejecting this option. I had a discussion about it with uh, with Yori in uh, the third episode on the podcast about mistakes in playback. And I actually, I like that you're saying that. Like, if you're doing the accent well, then you're saying, go for it. It's not necessarily making us um, stereotyping someone or something like that. Yeah, the question is, why are you choosing to make this accent in the first place? Mm -hmm. if, if making this accent will honor the story even better, why not? If you can do this even better, why not? Um, if, um, um, if, this, if bringing this accent is just a detail to the scene that will actually... Um, take the focus away from the heart of the story and we'll put the focus on something that can sound like a joke, I wouldn't make that choice. I don't think that's related to to 
um, the values of playback. But it might be really important. It might be actually really helpful for us to establish the environment where the scene happens. If it's the story, if I'm sharing a story about going to uh, this different place where everyone um, spoke a different language from me and the performers can actually show that language, it's going to be amazing or show that accent. That's going to be amazing. I'm going to feel that I'm I'm being thrown really inside that that city or that community right away. It can be very powerful. Again, like I'm not trying to show off and show that I know how to speak Estonian. Um, I don't. I only know how to say good morning. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, but that's not, you know that's not the goal. So what's the goal of that scene? Mm-hmm. So accents, different languages, they can be great. Um, if they are helping to honor the story. I remember once um, I did a, a fluid sculpture about someone that had, I don't know, it was something about them remembering their mother or grandmother who were Japanese. This was here in, in Brazil. And something about the culture and the, the things that they learned from their grandmother. And and I I brought to the fluid sculpture counting from one to ten in Japanese, which is something that I know from childhood. Um, and at that moment, I felt that that would help that teller connect to the thing. It was just like a symbol um, to the Japanese language and that could help them connect to their story. Um, so then I think I think can be helpful, you know, yeah. as. As, as positive symbols, as symbols that make a difference, that help honor the story, but yeah. not a symbol of someone who is uh, not smart enough or a symbol of someone who's who's too, who's different in, in a way like I then I would try to avoid it. Yes. So I really like the fact that you're you're putting emphasis about the motivation and if the motivation is right. If your intentions, are, if you have good intentions, then usually it would work. It wouldn't, um, no one will get offended and it will work. Uh, and this is something I'm also saying that uh, if your motivations are positive, then usually it, it would work. So uh, because a lot of times also actors get start worrying, oh, maybe if I'm going to do this, Maybe I'm going to offend someone or something like that. So I really like the fact that you're saying oh, if your motivation is good and if it's clear to you why you're doing that, then it, it would usually serve the teller and the story and so on. I, I would like to ask you, what kind of exercise can help us to build the character? Then there are some exercises from uh, Viola Spalling, who's very... Uh, well-known in Brazil, in inside theater. And Viola Spalling teaches some games on building characters. Uh, one thing that I like to do in my workshops is to um, play with different um, um, places of gravity inside your body. So we walk around with our head going first. And how does that make us feel? What kind of energy does that bring? What does that do to the rest of the body? And then who's that character that's coming up, you know, then we're we're building characters from outside in. So we're first uh, getting a different shape in our body and then we're uh, feeling that energy. But I usually say that we're 
paving the same road, just going one way, and then through playback, we're going to go um, in the, sa the same road. We're just going to take the other way, but it's the same road. So we just know the way from body to character or from character to body. Um, so you just walk around like different gravity centers. You walk yeah. around with your knees going first, and then how does that make you feel? What 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 changes does that bring to the rest of your body? And then how do you start speaking? And what kind of character does that uh, put you in? Like who's that person? And what what would they say? Mm -hmm. And how do you say it? And just play around, play around with that. I think it's uh, really nice to dedicate some time in rehearsals for for um, extra development and not all rehearsals we have a chance to do it because we should be developing so many different skills as I said in the beginning but but take some time for for character development is nice inside the actress work and I think it's important and and yeah. also always as I said share your stories um, find find a place a moment to share especially the difficult stories that we have. So we are really getting ourselves ready to embody any character that shows up and to 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 play any story that is volunteered to to our group. Um, I, I really like that you're. I like the fact that you're offering different tools. I I also think it's really important for actors. To, to work on, on acting skills, on the artistic, um, the artistic circle or the artistic... Um, yes, the art circle. The art yes. circle. Um, and I like, and I think it's important, even what you've just said, that um, this external instruction, this external uh, shift of body weight or some or, uh, gravity center in your body, it's a great tool when you're going on stage and you're feeling clueless just try to think of uh, what's the er organ that is leading this character and that might be the key it might be the yes. key for you to deal with the the complexity of the scene so yes. this is and, and this is a great tool for actors to to use yes and another hint that in theater we always talk about is observe observe the people Observe people around you, observe people on the streets, observe strangers, observe people like real people. One way to approach a character is through this um, really external external work, okay, through the body. And another way is to try to, like you said, to connect to different emotions or to try to find something within yourself that is... Uh, maybe similar to, to this character. So there are different approaches we, we can take. And I'm just thinking now about like a lot of exercises that can, uh, that, that can help with that. I think there is a lot of work to be done. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, as you said, we have a complex task as playbackers and a lot of time we're, we're not getting and we might be even neglecting a little bit the this side of the playback uh, skills we need to acquire. Um, yes, uh, I think uh, whoever is going to listen to our talk, I think going to get a lot of ideas about how to to develop his or hers uh, acting skills uh, in general and how how it can be used in playback.
Um, is there anything that maybe I haven't asked that, um, that, that you would like to add that comes to your mind? I think, I think we're talking about it. I always like to say about the importance of um, studying. Never stop studying. Never stop studying playback theater. Never stop studying all of these different skills that playback theater requires. Um, the theories of playback are still being developed. I think it was the second podcast was about narrative reticulation, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's it's a newish theory, and and it, if things are still being developed, we still should be studying. One 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 more thing that I was thinking about that I think is crucial in in building a character, um, and I think it, it's crucial to us as playbackers and uh, to any actor or actress, um, I think it's the ability and um, and this is where all the different circles of all the different components of playback goes together is to feel the um, a compassion to the character that you're that you're playing, even if it's um, a character that uh, might be cruel or you might don't like or might have like different opinions than than yours then in any case you have to be able to connect to something in that character in order to bring this character on stage um, or at least try to understand why they do what they do even if it's uh, wrong and you totally disagree and reject but but in order to show it on stage we need to understand where that comes from. Um, and and I think that will help us um, do it and, and show it. So I think we should try as much as possible to not judge the characters that we are playing. And I think that that is also a key, a key component for this, uh, for the, the character to be presented on stage in a way that uh, will serve the story in the best in the best way so exactly what is yeah what is what is what is the best way to serve the story and sometimes we judge the story and i in 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 order to identify that uh one behavior is really inappropriate or criminal or brutal and shouldn't be there and, and also, as members of our society, we have the social responsibility to show that, to show the consequences of that. But um, understanding what's the part that the character plays in the story being told. And I'm thinking now about the character that um, you were playing when you did uh, the U.S. character being sick on the floor and all that. And I hope that... Um, now, because of the election in the U.S., I'm, I'm thinking about that. So I hope the next chance you'll have to to do the, this kind of character, it's going to be a bit uh, in a better state than it was. A healthier yeah. country and, and yeah. a more hopeful character. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so in this, uh, I think in this note, we, we can close and I hope we'll get a chance to, to meet in person one day. Although we are oh, yes. really far away, but uh, and there's uh, other challenges these days, but I really hope we'll get to meet. And yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Well, um, thank you. I deeply appreciate the opportunity and 
the space and I really appreciate what you're what you're doing. This project has impacted me as as an individual and as a playbacker. It's been connecting me with our community in a stronger way. And so I, I really, really appreciate it. I know it's not easy uh, to make this happen. Um, and it's an honor, as I said, for me to be here and to share a little bit of what I know. Um, you People can find me on social media. Um, on Instagram, it's Shayla Underline Donio. And on uh, Facebook, you can look for Shayla Donio Workshops. And, and we can talk more. I hope that this conversation can continue within different playback companies. And I'm happy and open to continue this conversation outside of this podcast as well. I hope people will uh, take advantage of your experience and knowledge and uh, what you have to offer. And yeah, it's been a pleasure, as I said. And thank you very much for this talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this talk. If you have any questions or requests, please feel free to contact me. And please share this episode with others. Thank you.